Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast, actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path, after party number 39, covering episodes 115, 116, and 117. That's a very big mouthful of yeah, I was about to say, we're getting into those large numbers now. I know. We're getting into really biggie, big, big, biggie large numbers. Biggie, biggie large biggie numbers. Large. Wow. That's what, that's what I got. We value size them. <laughs> Jordan went to the Goblin School of Grammar. Uh, Make it dead. Make it it's dead. It's true. I do play a, a mean goblin. <laughs> so, anyways, kicking things off with a recap of the previously long-winded episode. That was weird. Um, She's giving you fanfare. Starting with episode episode 115, uh, which started with us fighting the uh, stone golem of Ta. Yeah. Yep. That's true. Sorry, Ta. And I do want to preface this with, uh, we have heard you community, and I apologize that we misconstrued a 10-foot cube with 10, 10 cubic feet. I greatly apologize yep. for that, yeah. although that has been the most common comment. We, we messed it up something fierce. Thank you to all the, the mathematicians that said that we dropped them down two and a half inches into the ground. <laughs> I'll also say that maybe Paizo shouldn't use cubic feet and cubes of feet. Yeah. Five foot cubes. Yeah. That's easily misread. It, it was entirely a misread on our part. Yeah, because I, I was using the uh, the logic that you usually use for creating walls, like a stone wall spell or anything like that, yeah. where it's like, it can be X high and X long and this many thick. Having read a long thread about it, it was basically the thing of uh, stone shape is one of those spells that is commonly attempted to be used in combat where it actually has almost no combat application. <laughs> yeah. Unless you get creative. So we, we've learned. <laughs> Even if you get creative. <laughs> well, now we know. We thought we were being I gonna, creative. I was going to say, we we tried. We at least get an E for effort. Hollis will stop preparing it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so prefacing it with that. Yeah, so following our big boo-boo fight that was very painful. It didn't do that much, to be honest. I mean, yeah, I don't think it was the plus still one a deadly did, fight. Yeah. I mean, mind you, that fight kind of wrecked It's mainly uh, deadly because none of us have the ability to get through its damage reduction with the exception of uh, Citra, so it was basically like, all right, everybody, take your lumps for Citra. <laughs> Citra took some lumps, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had, a co- I had a conversation with this with uh, with Ross, friend of the pod, Ross, whom you... Is he a friend of the pod? pod or is he part of the pod at this point? I mean, he is in our Tyrant's Grasp adventure Friend, friend of the Patreon. Mummy's Mask pod, as he did guess for a while, but of course a, uh, a staple, a pillar of the Find the Path community. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ross Scoggin. I had a conversation with him where I was talking about how it. everyone loves to use the phrase, especially borrowing it from uh, MMOs, of tanking. But it's actually almost impossible to tank in Pathfinder because there's no reason if your character can't hit and do damage, there's no reason for the thing to actually attack you. Mm. So it's like this construct. It's like, okay, everyone's trying to run interference and draw its attention. It's like, no, it's going to keep hitting Citra because it has no intelligence and Citra is wrecking it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's that uh, that's the whole idea is like, oh, I focus only on my armor class and my hit points. It's like, well, if you can't hit it, then it's just going to walk in a circle around you and go over there and kill the wizard who's disintegrating it. Yeah. So (laughs) I hope if they got to disintegrate off that it's not walking anywhere. Uh, One does not simply disintegrate a dragon. Yeah. But following (laughs) that, we... uh, weirdly uh, discovered in the secret passage that should have been to his like, you know, what would that be? The inner tomb? Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the, the official yeah, pyramid like term a secret that inner tomb. Yeah. That uh, it was guarded by a clockwork golem, a mass of spinning gears, which we had noped right out of that fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not doing that the same day. And to be fair to us, we do not do that often to give you an idea of how dangerous that must have seemed to us because like I, it takes a lot for us to generally just be like, Let's just try to avoid this fight. Yeah. One of my friends who listens to the pod texted me after this episode, and she's like, y'all aren't really going to fight that clockwork thing, are you? And I was like, ah. I mean, yeah, we, are, baby. we are. It's standing in our way of treasure. Not right also, no, I was say, also proof we don't metagame and look up what the monsters are, because if we did, we probably would have been like, maybe we shouldn't. I don't know. I feel pretty confident. Anyway, that's skipping ahead. Anyway, that is skipping ahead. But, uh, Following that, uh, we had re- retreated to plan for uh, attacking it in, on the morrow. Yeah. And uh, Sudi had gone to talk with Tedasura, learning a little bit more about uh, Chisasek and a little bit about what her plans were for Onuris as well with the whole pectoral thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sudi tried I'm to so play the riddle sad. game and didn't succeed. <laughs> uh, I, I was super disappointed in this. 
it, it reminds me that Rick uh, is really good with the long game of storytelling where he has plans for us all the way into book six. Bum, yeah. bum, bum. <laughs> because I, it was like one of those moments where like you clearly felt on wasn't there when he should have been and it sucked. Yeah. I, I was sad it. these last couple episodes, guys, is, is yeah. what I'm getting at. It yeah, it's been it's been messy. It's been it's been sad. You know, I think an interesting part of that is it goes back to illustrate the whole idea of it's a meta, but it's an in-world idea that prophecy doesn't work. Yeah. Where from the oh, yeah. from the meta perspective, the story that you're going to play through is already written. So from a meta perspective, there's already a, a concrete you know, these events will transpire as these things will happen as you're following the events in the adventure path. But your characters, by their very existence, break any prepared or prophesized direction that the story would take. Yep. There's there's elements of that. There's elements of Sagira's backstory that may come into the story that Sagira isn't here to even be aware of that they exist in the main story because I'm not changing my plans. So those events are still going to happen. I've already laid the groundwork and started seeding the future on those things. And it just may be that Sagira might not ever be aware of these things, the same as this would have played substantially different with Onuris still here. Yep. Yep. So it was a sad Curse episode you, for prophecy. Us. It's true. Yep. Uh, but ending that episode, uh, Sudi had felt the calling of the mass to go ahead and have another vision, which I love. He says with as much sarcasm as he can muster i still am worried that that mask is going to take over sudi it's not we know that it's not going to do that i know that it's not going to but i'm a paranoid adventurer yeah i was gonna say there's that paranoia that just is like yeah but can't what Mm." (laughs) you know i think our listeners love those flashbacks though i I enjoy the flashbacks genuinely like i enjoy them as a (laughs) as a player but i know like sudi is not comfortable with having these sudden flashback visions i mean you can trade it with citra random (laughs) Yeah, but, but I like Citra doesn't want it either. <laughs> <laughs> but that does bring us to episode 116, where um, the mask gave us a flashback to Hakatep's training in the temple with his brother. Yeah, we think we know who's who. And I think we may know who's who, and we got their real real names. Well, I guess pre-pharaonic name for Hakatep. Mm-hmm. Anybody remember what those names were? Nope, I can't pronounce them. <laughs> it was Ramos... And I can't remember the other one. I don't have the timeline in front of me. No, Ikhet. No. Mm. It was like Hakatep, but it was shorter. And then we found out that the pharaoh and the high priest of Set have another sister who's like the head of the guard or something, Mm because she was there too. Yeah, she's a warrior chick. (laughs) And then we saw Nahamra be like, haha, I'm smart and you're dumb in uh, the Set priest's face, which was great. Yeah, that was a weird vision. I'm pretty sure that's going to bite him in the butt later. I don't know. We know how he kind of gets exiled, and it has nothing to do with that. Yeah, but we don't know how my family gets cursed yet. Why do I have a feeling it's going to have something to do with him? Because shadowy darkness and your brother turned into a little spirity boy, and so, like, shadowy <laughs> darkness and set go hand in hand. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, Itet, by the way, was the... Itet, the older brother... Being Jordan off made a, a joke in that episode about how we need a family tree, but I'm actually thinking that's something we might actually do. <laughs> like, legitimately, I'm just saying it's getting complex. There's like so many sisters and brothers and uncles, and they're all interrelated, and we just, I, I can't keep them straight in my head, especially when we only have visions every like, you know, 10 or 20 episodes. Actually, I don't know when our last vision was before this. Breck will probably know. I believe your last vision was actually episode 101. Was it? Oh, okay. So well, no, actually, it, oh, your last vision was the flashback in uh, just a sex workshop. Yeah, that's true. We did have and that one. Before that, your last vision was episode 101. Hmm. Boy, I'm not so, good at remembering how often we have flashbacks. Oh, well, well, it really varies. Yep. Yeah, it does vary. Every, every nine true. or ten episodes, or as it's otherwise known, every two or two and a half months. Yeah. So I, it's understandable. I, I don't have a memory that long. I'm, I'm more the goldfish uh, distance of having a memory. That's why I can never remember my class abilities. Uh, anyway, we had uh, finished that. Sudi had, and Narmer had communicated that in the best of their abilities uh, to the rest, who then said, okay, that's great. Let's go fight a clockwork golem. And we super prepared. And we yeah. prepared very much for Thank that, which was really goodness. good. <laughs> So if I remember right, we stone were talking about skin. We were talking about after that episode, and we realized that if we hadn't had the stone skin, Citra would have died. Um, yep. If it had gone on another round, Citra would have died. 
Um, yep. If she hadn't gotten an extra attack. If she hadn't gotten the extra attack from the haste, Citra would have died. If she hadn't been displaced. And hadn't been displaced, yeah. Citra would have died. Like, all the things that we did to, like, buff her ahead of time, like, is the only reason Citra's still alive. It was crazy. Yeah. Hollis is making a mental note to pick up a wand of freedom of movement. It's not on our spell list, but she does have used magic device, and we really need that spell a lot. I had a breath of life. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, how are you going like, to br- give her a breath of life whenever she's being ground into gears like she's some kind of pulpy thing in a wor- in a wood chipper? No, what it would have been is it would have been she breath of life sim- or life's Citra. Citra is then laying on the ground, recovering from it, and then Sudi does one hit point of damage, just enough because Citra didn't damage it in a round to draw its attention, and then it grinds Sudi into paste. <laughs> Woo! That would have been just great. You just sound uh, the, so happy. I did about have this. DR8 at least, so I mean, I would have had some protection. But yeah, it would have been bad. Go. No, those those golems that uh, the clockwork golem is ridiculous. Its wall ability is strange. I've always kind of found it very odd because who's going to just walk into that wall? Although it can appear in a square that you're occupying. So, for mm-hmm. instance, yep. if you're in a five foot wide hallway, it can just choose to turn into a wall that goes down the entire length of that hallway. Yeah, it's not pleasant. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it wasn't. Give me a few. Give me a few levels, and I'm making one of those things. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> You're not gonna have the time or the money. You know I was gonna say, didn't we go. figure out you also have to be like 15th level for that? But it's we're gonna happening. get there. Okay. She also needed a lot of parts. <laughs> it's just gonna be an upgrade for Narmer. It's like Narmer's like clockwork mech suit. Oh no, I'm gonna cast Awaken Golem on it, and we're gonna just have it lead us the charge into battle. Are you freaking kidding? Anyway, <laughs> fun. That's it's just like Narmer, but with a deeper voice. It's like, hey guys. <laughs> oh gosh I'm a giant clockwork golem shake I don't know why everything that Mashika builds talks with his voice but now it's deeper oh my god <laughs> I'll adjust it oh. more post anyway oh goodness <laughs> gracious it's kind of hard to talk like that I'm glad you haven't created it yet yeah, I was going to say that we're only halfway through this adventure path so there's still time oh yeah we finished book three yes yeah, speaking of finishing things uh we had done some research in the uh room with the clockwork golem after we had made him explode which was also awful on top of everything else oh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, also the shrapnel explosion yep um and we had uh done some research uh learned about the slave trenches of hakatep which we had definitely had mention of earlier we didn't remember and apparently Why that's we... the weapon mm-hmm. so yeah, that, that was the big thing that you're extrapolating from this that Somehow the slave trenches are a giant weapon because they're like a giant rune. Yeah, they're like yeah, they're like a giant symbol of power carved into the desert. (laughs) Yeah, so that's interesting and weird. Um, So we're definitely going to go there. But first, we went to the uh, Merchant's Oasis, managed to get ourselves there to hook up with uh, Falto, the rest of the Beckon, like pretty much everybody we've met this book. Oh right, we have this weird riddle. Yeah, yep. just before you left, you did get story time that apparently broke Hollis. Hollis is Hollis is going all oh, conspiracy yeah. theory red string. <laughs> oh, I think I'm right about some of that. You you very well might be, but you sounded unhinged. <laughs> and it's funny because we we wrapped that we wrapped that episode up. I think Jess and I went to go. I don't remember what we were doing, but uh, she was literally talking that same way for another like thirty minutes after that. <laughs> I was trying to figure out the. the it like legitimately bothered her that she couldn't figure it out. I think I figured it out. <laughs> I don't know what I think I figured out, but <laughs> but you figured out something. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's recorded. I will guarantee you that you'll probably have some answers by the time that we reach. I don't know one seventy. Oh, thanks. Great. Great. <laughs> 60 episodes of confusion. Here we go. And I'll just politely forget all of that. Just because, like, wait, I need to go back and listen to my crazy ramblings from two years ago. She's now the, the weird disembodied head. <laughs> Goodness. But, uh, yeah, that that concluded book three. Congratulations. We're halfway done, y'all. We're halfway, halfway. done, but also... That felt like a lot of episodes. Rick, how many episodes did we spend in that book? Because it felt like as long as the first two books combined. It Yeah, it kind of did. All right. Well, uh, here, everybody, uh, everybody give me your best guess. We'll do an over-under. 45. 70. Oh, definitely not. I don't think 70. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it was 70, but <laughs> we're going to do closest high. without going over. <laughs> and Jordan's just like, eh. Um, eh. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with a weird number and say 53. Okay. I'm going to go 55. Okay. So, and there are a lot of places that you can kind of pin this. 
But I'm going to pin it with the first episode that involved things that were in that book. Because there was this uh, there was this gray area between book two and book three where it's like Sudi talking with the Viper and Sagira leaving and all the rest of that stuff that didn't really fall into there. It'd probably be the one the one where we met Hollis, I think, would be the first one. Oh, it's also how many episodes has Hollis been in the podcast? Basically, yes. <laughs> so I believe the correct answer would be the first episode that you did that was in book three would have been episode 72, which means that... 46 episodes. Oh, Jess was one off. Wow. I win. Because uh, that, that was the one with the legend lore that you got from the Temple of Phrasma. And that's that. kind of where the story kicks off in the main book is finding out about what you need to know and, and getting your quest to go to Tefu. So that was actually, mm-hmm. well, uh, we'll forgive Jessica for that because uh, she wasn't even in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't start until Jessica's back. Yeah, there you go. She was counting the number of episodes she's been in as Hollis. Although, in answer to that, Hollis has been in 45 episodes. Hey, hey. Cool. Because just Hollis wasn't in the first episode of this book. Now, just just out of my, my own weird curiosity, how many of those 46 episodes were in Tefu? Because I know that at one point somebody had said, like, that whole Tefu arc is not really that long, but we made it into this huge, long, you know, intrigue. I guess to clue all of you, episode 73 was literally entitled The One Where They Reach Tefu. <laughs> seems seems fitting. Yeah, where everyone introduced uh, everyone's favorite NPC, Neef. Hmm. You haven't really oh, checked. You haven't seen it in a long time. We, have, we need to well, teleport we got back and check on Neef. We yeah. can still teleport in. I'm banished. I'm glad you think <laughs> that the Temple of Nethys would not know that people who aren't supposed to be in the city teleported in. <laughs> what, do they have a giant alarm <laughs> spell for teleportation around the city? I don't know. Yeah, I don't no, know. there are no secrets in Tefu. It's called a spy network. Oh. oh, yeah, that's true. Fortunately, I actually made this really easy for myself to figure this out. So episode 73 was the one where they reached Tefu. And then episode... Episode 97 is the one where they leave Tefu. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so 73, 97, so about 24 episodes. So 24 episodes were spent inside of Tefu. So about half. So, yeah, you guys spent a lot of time in that book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did. Okay. More, more than you had in any single book up until that point. Only by a few episodes. Fun times. Okay, I guess we'll move on to emails. We Yay. have... Our first email today coming from Ryan in Boston, Massachusetts. Boston. Sorry. (laughs) I'm sure that doesn't get Do I need to read this in my best Boston accent? No. 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 Granted, I will say though, okay, can I just say that out of accents in America, that's one of my favorites. Oh, no. uh, Minnesota. (laughs) I mean, I like Minnesota, but there's just something about a Boston accent that it just brings a smile to my face. Like, getting cussed out by somebody in a Boston accent is just great. It's funny. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure the New Yorkers don't agree. (laughs) Well, I mean, getting cussed out by a New Yorker... (laughs) Have we done anybody in Boston? Somewhere where there's crabs. Didn't Ryan ask for a location? (laughs) Uh, It said something Augustana, but I don't know what that is. Augustana is uh, Andorin, actually. Oh, it okay. Is the, okay. It is an inner sea port city in the nation of Andorin, and Epso Bay is the second largest city in the nation and boasts one of the largest shipyards in the inner sea. That makes sense. Which makes y- a lot of what, sense Ryan, for Boston. <laughs> go ahead and give yourself a hero point for doing the research for us, um, because you picked a great spot. That's very Boston. Yep. I have to remember that for any other Bostonians who write in. I've there. always wanted to go to Boston. It's on my, my I've bucket list. I've been to Boston. Of- it's great. Boston's a really cool city. <laughs> As a fun side note, to make Rachel extra happy, it is also uh, one of the main halfling settlements in the ah, inner sea. Nice. Apparently, nice. with halflings making up a large percentage of the population. Well, we know Bostonian where uh, Rachel's next character is going to be from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, Rachel will be playing a halfling with her best Boston accent. Oh, I'd have to practice. Oh. I don't know if my Boston oh, accent that's great. All right. Well, yeah. So, Ryan writes Greetings, crew. Love your show. Thanks so much for the inspiration for my own games. I'm one of those folks that boarded the Pathfinder train thanks to your adventures, and I hope to find a game to join around here soon. Awesome. That's great to hear. I mean, it's... Good good luck. Find a good group. Come to Discord. Yeah, come to the Discord. We're we're a cool group of people. He continues. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) My question is in regards to playing cunning and influential NPCs and monsters. I'm currently running the 5e campaign Curse of Strahd. And often feel intimidated trying to wrap my head around what a conniving figure like Strahd von Zarovich 
would do and think while players are out and about. I struggle to track what he knows about them and why, how his goals and opinions shift with their actions, and when to involve him directly. It's hard to fight the urge to fudge his knowledge for dramatic effect just because it's so easy to hand wave and that he could have scried, read minds, or talked to his spies. In short, he has a 20 intelligence and 400 years of life experiences, and I don't. I know nothing about this. I'm going to assume Rick and maybe even Heather have like very good knowledge of Strahd. Strahd's a real yeah. fancy bigwig vampire guy. Yeah. Strahd is the central antagonist for the Ravenloft setting. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I should have been least is the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's mm-hmm. kind of the most famous vampiric character of the Ravenloft setting and uh, yep. is very much involved in there. He's, he's a Dracula figure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, and it's also, a, it's a famous, the Curse of Strahd and uh, AD&D adventure that you fought your way through his vampire castle and fought him. So This is what I get for not being up on my uh, D&D lore, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yep. More ranks in lore D&D. It's got some very Castlevania type vibes at time, those times, those AD&D adventures. Yeah. Hmm. Castlevania sounds good. He continues, When you're dealing with powerful, intelligent figures like the Viper or the warring leaders in Tefu, what strategies do you use to track their thoughts and actions, especially in regards to the party? If things don't progress how you expect, how do you improvise their influence on the plot in organic yet fun ways? I want to keep the campaign immersive with these background machinations, and I don't want this kind of NPC to be an ineffectual backdrop to the party's heroism or too omnipotent and intrusive on the party's agency. That's a great question, Rick. Bum, as bum, the only bum. person who's GM'd this. <laughs> well, I figure some I figure people could also give their own input as far as I mean, we've got numerous writers here and people that have worked or people that know a great deal about literature as well. Well, literature is easy. You control everything. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll throw out a, I'll throw out a couple of ideas, but the, the primary one that I do is the higher an intelligence or the more complicated a character is, the more you can assume that they know. It's almost in essence giving them a level of meta knowledge. So, for instance, I won't use anything from the story here as an example in case I delve a little bit into spoiler territory. But if you're dealing with somebody that the party goes in, they kill, let's just say, a vampire's lieutenants and murderize the whole whole bunch of them or some hags that work with them or so on. You know, the first couple of times that happens, a big bad isn't going to go and deal with it personally. Because, like, I've got agents and everything else to do with that. But later on, you might be able to just take notes. Uh, I've done this in a couple of venture paths before where I've just had them look at it and go, like, I made some notes on the spells that Kabek saw the party use to just go, Kabek knows the party has these spells. So what you can instead do is simply say that, you know, an intelligent enough creature could show up if you make notes of the spells and do a whole Sherlock Holmesian thing where it's like, hmm, this appears to be a 20 foot radius burn pattern. So they obviously have fireball and I see scorch marks on this wall from a lightning bolt. And this undead creature was obviously killed by a channeled positive energy, in essence, allowing them to make hill checks to determine how their minions were killed, because most of the time the party isn't going to bury bodies uh, or even burn them. (laughs) Fair point. Fair point. I can't remember the last time I buried a body of a fallen enemy. We burned a lot of bodies in in an undead heavy campaign. Yeah. 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 Also, if you have a follower of Phrasma, you tend to bury a lot of bodies. So I think the takeaway is the higher the creature's intelligence, the more you can assume that they know within reason. Always say avoid. I always hate when a story simply says, it's like, oh, well, they would have probably learned this from scrying. And it's like, well, people get to notice scrying. They get saves versus scrying. Callback tried scrying on the party. And the party eventually noticed it and started preparing a sea invisibility just to counter the scrying. Instead, I've always found it's a better idea to play the character as they anticipate things. And you know everything that happens. So if there's even a chance someone else could have learned something, then it's okay to extrapolate from there. One of my greatest regrets, and I, I didn't end up doing it, is I, I kind of thought for a little while about just having Kabek having send one of his minions in with a sea invisi- or with an invisibility potion, and uh, give people on watch a chance to notice uh, Hollis's bag open, and the the individual just goes through Hollis's spellbook just so that Kabek can prepare a little bit better by oh, knowing wow, everything that was on Hollis's spellbook. But at the same time, I was just like, mm, if the party had suspected Kabek, I might have done that. But at the time, the party was still pretty amiable towards him. So he didn't want to raise any suspicions unnecessarily. Because even Joke's if you killed on you. the guy. Hollis sleeps with her spellbook under her pillow. <laughs> I sleep I sleep with my spellbook under my pillow. you're not chicken. a wizard anymore without it. So, I mean, it's kind of important one to have. I could take that thing that I just like blank all the pages, like whatever that spell is. Oh, the secret page? Yeah. 
Um, one thing that I have done, especially with um, villains that are kind of running side along to the character stories, is I've kind of journaled out quick bullet points of what they've done, um, which helps keep me in the frame of like, what are they up to while the party's doing blank, they're doing blank. And it does give you that opportunity to be like, okay, they go back behind the party and look at bodies and all of that. Um, the other thing that I've done is an intelligent, especially spellcaster, they tend to react better to things changing and shifting. So you can kind of think of it as like the typical 10 intelligence per person is not going to put too much thought into what they're actually working on. Whereas a, say, 20th intelligent, near genius level intellect person is going to put a lot of thought into every single thing that they're doing as part of their grandmaster plan. So, like, you know, they're going to think, okay, what if the party does blank? How am I going to get out of a pit if they put me in a pit? Well, I'll prepare fly. Um, what happens if they dispel the fly? Oh, it just goes to Featherfall. That's fine. Let me go uh, get stone skin because I think that that'd be something really useful because they're going to have that fighter come after me. I'll prepare a suggestion and so that, you know, so on and so forth. And eventually you get to the point where they'll have a spell list that's trying to counter everything that they know Jordan, that could breathe. happen, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it won't. I was going to say, it sounded like you were running out of breath there. I was honestly getting a little worried for a second. I, I, wanted, I wanted to give it that fast pace of like a super smart, thinky Sherlock Holmes person. I'll speed it up in post. Uh, <laughs> Actually, do speed it up. That'd be funny. Jordan, yeah, that Jordan be. does raise a very good point there. And uh, it is something that you should also keep in mind when playing a, a higher intelligence character that bear in mind what their abilities and limitations are. So, for instance, you know, Jordan's approaching it from an arcane spellcaster standpoint where it's, you know, I can prepare whatever spells that I need for this sort of situation by having a spell book with enough spells in it. You know, keep in mind that if you're looking at someone like the Viper, I just assume that anything that happened to the public, the Viper knew. Almost all the orphans in the city work for the Viper. So the yep. Viper would always know yep. where the party was coming from and going. If they did anything that happened in public, the, then the Viper would know about it. Uh, he wouldn't necessarily know the details, but... You know, it's one of those, these the characters become heroes in these small towns. So just the big bads minions could come in later on. Hey, what happened here? And get the story from the townsfolk. It's not like it's yeah. super secret you know, what happened to this town? No one else knows, you know? Oh, and most parties are not really going to be stealthing around trying to be circumspect about their abilities. They're going to kind of just be flashy with them because that's kind of how we play our characters generally. There's also the fun, like, Strahd is fun because he's, like, super old. Well, in 400 years of dealing with adventurers, there's really only so many things adventurers can do. So he's sure. probably seen a fighter before. He's probably seen a mage before and has some idea of like three or four or five or 20 different types of mages because the guy's been around for a long yeah. time. And you don't live for a long time if you're bad at learning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Without keeping up with everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're wanting to homebrew, I think it's commonly overlooked. If you're wanting to homebrew a super well-planned villain, there is nothing better than a high-level cleric. Because it can't oh, just yeah. be like, you know what? I'll ask the gods what they use. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. The little, little light divination. <laughs> I mean, how often has Masika and on Eurus used divinations no, and contacting other planes? Yeah. yeah it's just, one of those. I'm going to gate in some people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let me yeah. call a... Uh, Oh man, not a lieutenant. Whatever, what herald. A herald. Let me call in a herald, and uh, you know we'll have some fun when they get here. <laughs> I just on a fun side note with what Jessica was talking about with being old and intelligent, and you know knowing your abilities and all the rest of that. I can't remember what 3.0 or 3.5 adventure it was. I think it was an adult red dragon, and uh, part of its treasure hoard that it wore on itself was a ring of greater cold resistance. Yep. Because it's like, nice. I know what my weakness is. It's this thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the party yeah. prepares all cold spells. And it's like, honestly, you probably would have been better hitting it with like lightning or something. Yep. <laughs> at that point. True. So, yeah. And a, a, a more intelligent creature is going to know what its weaknesses are and is going to have adjusted for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope that helps. Yeah. That was actually a really good question. Uh, so he signs off. Thanks so much, and keep up the amazing content. Just caught up, and I'm subscribing to delay my binge-listening hangover with some Tyrant's Grasp. Yeah, ooh, <laughs> yeah. Yay. Good on you. Tyrant's Grasp is a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun playing that with Ross. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, once again, enjoy. Ross it is wild. That's what happens when you see an entire party that doesn't have the opportunity to prepare. <laughs> oh, the idea there are shenanigans. <laughs> All right. Our second email comes from Stefan from 
Karkow in Ustalov. Ooh, nice. Ustalov, another Ustalov fan. Is, but uh, sounds good. Everybody, everybody likes their vampires, apparently. Uh, Karkow is uh, renowned as the shining light of civilization in the region of Dark Dreary Wilderness. Uh, famous for its opera and has Ooh, a reputation cool. as a place that both produces musical genius and fosters it uh, has led to its nickname as the village of voices which cool. has Creepy. that ominous nice. love that, name that does it. have a yep. that's one of those like a, like a double entendre you can take that as a really good or really bad mm-hmm. it's oh, Ustalov cool. I mean, it ain't good it's yeah <laughs> oh wow that's that's super creepy it's Uh-oh. apparently uh, it's nestled on the banks of a lake and has uh, crisscrossing canals which mirror the situation below the city as Karkow is actually built atop an underground lake and its foundations are shot through with underwater tunnels leading to a submerged labyrinth. It's like ah! Minotaur. I love it. Sea Minotaur. Awesome. Yep, Sea Minotaur. Sea <laughs> <C> Minotaur. <laughs> Bully. Anyway, so Stefan writes, Dear Find the Path crew, what is one of your favorite classes that Paizo has released and what is one you're looking forward to being released in second edition? And if you could make your own class, what would it be? Rick, this one for you. What's what is one class you hate to have in your game? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so that's really three questions. So. so three three separate questions. This was this was very succinct. So we'll start with the first one. Uh, what is one of your favorite classes that Paizo has released? And what is one that you're looking forward to being released in second edition? Summoner to both of those questions. And I'm easy. gonna get my summoner. It's true. You announced true. it. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> druids and gunslingers. So part one, druids. Part two, they haven't released yet, but looking forward to it, gunslinger. Guns. They've got guns. Yeah. Uh, for me, I really like the Arcanist. It's probably one of my favorite classes mm. to play. Um, huge fan of that in first edition. Second edition, I'm curious about the Artificer. Um, I know a little bit about it from 5th edition d and I'll be curious to see what the Paizo twist on it is. So mine's fighter. I love my fighters. Um, I will always love my fighters. Um, then as far as what's coming out, um, I had a lot of fun playing Planchette, so probably the medium. Hoping for the they medium in the future. They have would be cool. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They haven't announced any occult classes yet. I mean, other than no, the bard haven't. being an occult caster now. Mm. I feel like they will eventually do some more occult spellcasters. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of. Uh, well, I mean, the the witch can be the witch and the sorcerer can both be occult casters. Yeah. But, yeah. But you know, having another dedicated occult caster does creepy things, medium stuff, mind yep. reading, Object reading, yeah, seances. Mm-hmm. All right, Rick, what's yours? Uh, favorite class, uh, hands down, favorite class in first edition is the Inquisitor, and I would be very mm-hmm. interested in seeing an Inquisitor in second edition because. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can be a little judgy. I'd like to have my judgment back. I was going to say, Rick, you know, you know, Inquisitors well enough to be like devastating with an Inquisitor. Yeah. So that's I think yeah. I've seen you do that. The Inquisitor thing through an entire adventure path. And that was quite uh, having, having played two different types of Inquisitor. I love the gun turned Inquisitor. I love just plant uh-huh. your feet with a heavy repeating crossbow and just judge people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rick. You're basically just one of those gun turrets from Portal. Mm. All right, so what do you hate, hate you. to have people play in your games? I have a feeling you're well, about actually to hurt sorry. My no, feelings. the second question was if you could make your own class, what would it be? Everybody gets really contemplated for a second because we think of the entire possibilities. Mm-hmm. I think it's a class that would be interesting, although it's not necessarily a class I'd want to play. But I think like a monster tamer class would be interesting. I think something oh, where cool. you have an entire build around having kind of an animal companion type thing except for it's variable so instead of I start with a tiger or something it's I find this animal as we're traveling along or this monster that attacks us and then I make it my friend for a short time and then maybe like release it after a set amount of time where it's like and now return back to your environment buddy because I'm going to go do the next Pathfinder Society scenario and then you wander off (laughs) like yeah this would break all the Pathfinder rules so I don't even know if this would be possible but in my Final Fantasy games, I've always found the blue mage really interesting. It's, oh, you see a monster do a thing, and now you can do it. So mm, it'd be like kind of cool to have someone that could learn like other people's class abilities or spells or something for a limited amount of time, and you kind of rotate it out so you could be useful in almost any situation. Mm. I mean, that'd be interesting. Um, nobody's going to be really surprised by this. I would really like to make a mechanic class. 
that oh, is Pathfinder. in Pathfinder yeah. that is based on Clockworks and it gives you like kind of like the summoner. You get to build your own clockwork. And so it'd be kind of interesting to see like the it's not magical. It doesn't get a lot of magical abilities, but it gets like, you know, the damage reduction and it gets maybe a grinding gear attack or something. I think that'd be kind of cool because I just like clockworks a lot, y'all. I think it would be really cool to play. Rick took one that I was thinking about, so I won't say that one. So yeah, you Jordan play took one I was a character who is able to tap into the spirits of everything. So you pull in a little bit of like Shintoism where objects have spirits and so you can animate objects to help you and you can have doors open and close because they're like your friend. Like you essentially are using your spirit to connect to the spirits of the things around you and then you manipulate them that way. That's cool. That actually sounds really cool. It's pretty neat. It's a It'd little be bit... an interesting spellcaster. It's a little bit like there's some occult classes that were close to that, but I don't think they quite got there. Like yeah, the they could do object readings and things like that, yeah. But it's more about like... It's a little bit also like the Baba Yaga animated um, dancing hut thing. Well, the hut, but also <laughs> like you can have the cauldron familiar or whatever. So the idea that objects are kind of like your animal familiar or your animal companions or whatever. Hmm. Um, that's kind of fun. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I could see a whole progression with that, too. And you could definitely have different paths. Yeah, we've come around to Rachel. Only thing that really comes to mind is I like. I really liked Planchette's ability to like do seances and stuff, but it'd be kind of cool if someone just had to be the ability to see ghosts all the time. Mm. I don't know, and have more of a connection to the spirit world that way. It's a bit more uh, like the spiritualist. Yeah, but the spiritualist usually you just have your one. one. It's kind of a summon, yeah. Yeah, your one summon. I think it'd be kind of cool if you had the ability to like talk to ghosts all the time. An etherealist. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It'd be kind of cool. It's because it might one of my favorite book series. That's the main character's power. So hmm. mm. anyway. I'm gonna throw this out there. Also, it's just a random side note, but it'd be kind of interesting to see uh, a Solarian adapted to three or to Pathfinder two with the Solarians oh, like yeah. crystal powers and all the rest of that. I That'd do be like really Solarians. Yeah, I, I, Solarians are a lot of fun to play. I don't think that so. that'd be lore friendly because I believe the Solarians no. were created during the uh, the Great Migration. To, uh, yeah, they're, they're originally Kasothan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it—I don't know—it'd be cool if Pathfinder did like psychic stuff, like mm. not like you know, like this occult classes, but like actual like psychic stuff, like like D and D used to have in 3.0, like the, like the psionics or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the psionics. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of options. All right, final question from Stefan for you, Rick. What is one? class you hate to have in your game I have a feeling he's gonna hurt my feelings real bad in a minute here maybe maybe not it's a complicated answer so I'll give the short answer and then the long answer so oh the the short answer is the paladin and yep. the reason isn't the paladin's code actually I have no problems with the paladin's code I very much enjoy the paladin's code I'm playing a champion in Tales of Dark Moon Vale available now on YouTube and our Find the Path Ventures feed uh <laughs> <laughs> Shameless self-promotion. The the reason I have an issue with the Paladin, and this is the Paladin, not the Champion, and not the Champion variant of the Paladin in the second edition, is the Paladin is the king of the anticlimax. It's the king yep. of the, I have an ability that basically lets me go Super Saiyan and win this fight. And inevitably, it's going to be your boss fight. And because they bank that power, it means that the fights leading up to the boss fight tend to be actually harder than the boss fight itself. So it's kind of an issue yep. I just have with the build of the Paladin. Applause to Ross, because I actually asked that it's especially a problem if you're playing something that is undead heavy or evil outsider heavy or dragon heavy, because those mm. are the things the Paladins really own against, which is why I told everyone no Paladins for our playthrough of Tyrant's Grasp. And, and Ross, Ross came, was like, but man, and Ross came back and said, so what if I don't have smite evil? And I, and I thought, really, my problem with the Paladin is just that class ability. It isn't a problem with the Paladin itself. So that's how Ross got around that because Ross loves the Paladin. <laughs> yes, he uh, does. That kind of ties into the longer answer, which is my problem is anytime that it is a class that does not work for the story that is being played. Yes. The Paladin is the most common one for that. It's the person that says, it's like, hey, we're doing Skull and Shackle. And it's the person that says, I want to be the Paladin. Mm. My problem is the class that does not fit. And and to flow into fair. that also, the uh, I have not had a problem with a player like this in a long time because I have a phenomenal group of players. 
Aww. Yeah. Aww, but, shucks. but the person, especially when I used to homebrew back in the day, that would say, okay, well, I know that you're doing this game and I know that you said you wanted to do this desert exploration game, but I decided to play this character with this prestige class that gives me all these aquatic powers. Uh, so, and then they're upset with you when there isn't a flooded dungeon okay. or a river encounter or something. It's like, that's great. It'll help you one out of every 50 times that we play. But don't play something Weird. that you know is not going to be useful. It's like playing the cavalier that has a horse on the, when you're playing Skull and Shackle. It's like maybe your horse can jump between the two ships and you can lance somebody <laughs> off the other boat. But you're probably going to have a problem. Trade in your horse for a shark and be a shark cavalier because it's cool. <laughs> anyway, those are my thoughts. Also shark All cavalier. Right. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Great questions from Stefan. Thank you, Stefan. Moving on to our third email. Uh, from Braden from nowhere because it wasn't listed the where void. he's from. He is from the void then. I think we should actually wow. give them a place. <laughs> <laughs> the void's a place. The drift. He can come. The, okay, the drift hang doesn't out. exist in Pathfinder. He can come and hang out in. Uh, oh my god. My, Somewhere my, in Nidal? Yes, my mind just went blank. Oh <laughs> Why my god. are you trying to punish him? Carcosa. Because <laughs> Nidal oh, is. No. Because no. Nidal <laughs> is awesome. He can come hang out with me. It's fine. Ooh. Vire. I guess we can have another person. Yeah, we could have another person in Vire. Yep. I like it because it is the city of masks, so you never know who could be there. Anyway. There you go. That's why it's nowhere. He's super sneaky. Oh, uh, fair enough. Uh-huh. He's secretly an assassin. Maybe not an assassin, but like a vigilante. Mm. Maybe. Uh, so, Brayden writes, Hello, Path Folk. May this letter find you well. Are it we did. Path Folk too? Maybe. We are still Path I mean, Folk. Or maybe yeah. since you're reading that, he was saying hello to all the Path Folk that will eventually be hearing oh, you read this. Oh, there you go. It's got oh. layers. Either way, oh, we're still pathful. Meta. Anyway, I hope this message finds you well. It did. I'm caught <laughs> up on everything and love the adventures everyone brings to the table. The most enjoyable part of tabletop games for me is how collaborative storytelling works out and creative solutions can make a more interesting story than anyone could have ever expected. True. Currently, I'm running Rise of the Rune Lords, and the oh, party is assaulting nice. Thistletop to bring down to bring an end to Sandpoint's troubles. Mm. I'm looking forward to running some games for my friends and loved ones, but have the hardest time deciding what to run in terms of modules, APs, and even homebrew. An overabundance of options is paralyzing me, much like a ghoul's far too strong for that CR claw attack. <laughs> yes, it is OP. <laughs> That's fair. How do, each, how do each of you work on narrowing down what games you want to play? This goes for the players, too. How do you work on narrowing down on a concept from the many your minds envision? <laughs> Honestly, when we finished an adventure path, everybody kind of goes, okay, this is what I'm kind of interested in. And we just talk about it amongst ourselves till we land on one we all like. Yeah, we mm -hmm. used to have lots so. of lunches at Razoo's and decompress and talk about these mm -hmm. things. <laughs> and um, at one point we had like, we had like two or three adventure paths out planned of yeah, what we were gonna yeah. play. And it was, it was um, crazy. And then there's a lot of, okay, well, I played the cl the healer type class in the last thing we did, so I want to not do that again, so I think I'm going to go arcane. And then again, it's a lot of everybody just talks about it until you land on a class, and then once you have your AP and your class picked, it kind of makes it easier when it comes to narrowing down all those choices, especially with the background traits from first edition and now backgrounds from the adventure paths in second edition. That gives you a good launching point. Yeah. Yeah, so. and from the GM perspective, um, I would not run an adventure path I'm not enthusiastic about yeah. or a module or really, you know, anything if I'm not enthusiastic about it. So, like, I would not even suggest that we play one that I wouldn't be cool running for, you know, a two to three year timeline. Well, first off, I've never seen an adventure path that I haven't found some interest in. Even the ones that I'm the least interested for, once I start reach reading them, I usually get excited for it. But... Yeah, there are enough adventure paths out there that I would not take your time if it's an adventure path that you're not interested in. As far as me playing a character, I get to do it so rarely that I tend to just jump on whatever character I do. Rick's just happy mind. to be playing, y'all. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> I, I think a, a, a lot of our group works with kind of what Heather said, is that some of us have like a set idea of what we want to play. And so it makes picking for the rest of us a little bit easier because a lot of times we have like two or three concepts and then based on what the rest of the group picks then that kind of narrows down our choice yeah, yeah. and usually the person who has the the strongest desire to 
play a specific character or specific class build, something like that, is going to speak up first. Because they've probably yeah. been percolating in the back of their mind that for this adventure path, I really want to play blank. And then we kind of just, like for me, I'm, I'm usually like, eh, I'll fill in wherever it's needed. I'll make an interesting character regardless of what, you know, I'm playing. So um, I'm not I'm not usually like, man, I really want to play blank in this thing. Although I did go pretty hard on the living monolith thing for Mummy's Mask. Which you stole from me. Which I did steal from Jess. I was and say, look nine, how well it turned out. Turned out. Yeah, nine times out of ten, <laughs> I think I'm I'm the last to pick because I tend to have that problem where I'm like, I have no idea what I want to do. There's too many choices. So I like being the last one. But occasionally, I'm like, no, no, I'm going to play this thing. And the great thing about our group is that everybody's like, okay, well, then we'll work around it. Yeah, mm-hmm. just, just like playing the game is a collaboration. Picking your story and picking your characters should also be a collaboration. It's not going to be fun if, you know, somebody picks something and nobody else is on board with it. Like, yeah. you might be really excited to run an adventure path and, like, two, half your group is like, that doesn't sound fun. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to make people play a story that they don't have any interest in, even if you as the game master are really interested in it. Yeah. So, Thank- thankfully, if you have new players, I mean, I would maybe just ask them what kind of story they want, you know, or maybe just a setting that might help not narrow down some modules for you. Uh, I mean, I know there was one module that ran Rick ran. I think several groups that I've been part of. Um, oh, are you uh, thinking Crypt of the Everflame? Yeah, that one. Yep, and Crypt I of the Everflame. That was a good, uh, I think, starting one because it kind of gave you a feel for how to play. I mean, it's not necessarily the most like exciting story, but it's, it was, it was a good learning. And then from there they can kind of bounce off and be like, okay, I liked this element of this, this element here didn't like this. And then that can kind of help guide you for what module or adventure path you want to do next. Well, and if you want something short, like you want to play for a couple of hours, the, the quests that they're putting out in Pathfinder society now are really, really good. They're often just Mm -hmm. like one encounter, maybe a little bit of talking, but then you can get a quick feel. All right, so Brayden continues. I'll keep the closing praise here faint for the sake of Rick's will save. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you each for the inspiration to keep playing tabletop games despite setbacks from the outside world and unexpected developments in the game itself. I'm proud to be a Patreon member, a Discord member, and most of all, a fan. Nice. Thank you. We appreciate you and every other fan, whether you're paying us or not, equally. B-R-A-Y-D-E-N? Yes. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. I know who that is. Oh, wait. I think I know who it is, too, on the Discord. <laughs> well, if it's Brayden yeah. on the Discord, then yes. I know then, yeah, yeah. That could be yeah. coincidental, but maybe not. <laughs> well, and Brayden, thank you for also continuing to, to game and everything else right now. While we're all, I think, physically isolated, it's nice that through role-playing and the magic of the internet, uh, we can all still stay connected. Yep. So. Yep, yep. Thank you for taking that burden upon yourself. I haven't seen Jess and Jordan in person in like six months at this point. It, it, it and it's <laughs> weird. And it's weird because yeah. we used to see each other every weekend without fail. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It was very strange. Uh, he does have a postscript. P.S. I don't know if you've completed Strange Aeons, but part of me imagines every session as Heather getting more and more excited with the mythos, <laughs> even up to the end as the party slowly gets entangled in the cosmic uh, horrors beyond the realm of mortal understanding. You're not We're wrong. in. We're in book four of that, and unfortunately, we haven't played in so long because of the podcast. I and, really, uh, really want to finish Corona. that one. But oh my god, no! Strange Aeons is amazing, and I love it, and everyone should play it immediately. It Stop what you're doing. Really go play cool, Strange Aeons. Really play fun. A half orc with a bite attack. That is my. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And that brings us on to casting a deity. Yeah. Can we dun, cast dun, Technically, Cthulhu is part? a deity. If we're going to do that, shouldn't we cast Narlathotep? I mean, because he's related sure. to the podcast I, I we're let's doing. finish all the ones in Gods and Magic <laughs> in second edition. Then we can do the great old ones. Sure, sure. I just imagine uh, Cthulhu is voiced by Neil Gaiman. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's because of I, Cthulhu. It is because of I, Cthulhu. <laughs> oh, I love that story. Uh, so, yeah, if we're going to do a casting for the gods, I'm going to need 2d8 rolled. Oh, 2d8. Here we go. Come on, double ones. Nope. That's a six and a one for seven. Really waiting for on this roll, Jordan, to roll max and get a 16. (laughs) That would have been hilarious because it doesn't matter. It's the only time I can roll is when it doesn't matter. 
That would have been good. All right. Well, I think we've discussed this one a couple of times, but we have never officially cast here. So uh, I guess let's Uh get the ball rolling here. Hmm. For today's casting, we will be casting Grotus, God Ah. of the End of Times. Ancient beyond mortal reckoning, Grotus is an entity who cannot be easily understood. He hangs in the sky above the boneyards, a skull-faced moon constantly observing the passage of souls below. Events can cause him to draw ominously closer to Phrasmosphere, or to retreat back to a safer distance, with little obvious rhyme or reason for these actions. He evinces little regard for anything but his singular aim, the dissolution of the universe. While it may seem strange that a deity who seems to actively disregard his worshippers continues to attract faithful followers, Grotus is sought out with a morbid fascination by those who desire knowledge of the future. With perfect insight into the final fate of the cosmos, Grotus is able to piece together many of these horrifying possibilities of what is yet to come. For those granted glimpses of such futures, the terrible knowledge is often enough to permanently warp their view of reality. Such unfortunate individuals are often compelled to spread word of the coming triumph of Grotus, warning all those who will listen that the days of the universe are numbered. Grotus is also venerated by those eager for the end of the world, because they either see little value in the current order, find it too painful to cope with reality, or believe the universe is irredeemably flawed and must be destroyed. Many of these followers are more eager for destruction than Grotus himself, who reacts to events that hasten the delay and delay the end of times alike with little more than detached acknowledgement. The end is inevitable, and Grotus is patient. Okay, I'm going to choose to go first because I actually have a good one for this one, I think, in my right. humble opinion. Let Jordan start this I'm off. I'm going to go with Keith David. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah. Goliath. So, uh, for those who, yeah, for those who don't know, he voiced Goliath in the Gargoyles show. He's been in a bunch of other like movies and stuff, but he also was in Mass Effect. Anderson in Mass Effect, yeah. Yeah, yeah he is. Uh, or, He's a great was it Major voice. Anderson? Yeah. He's got a very distinctive Captain, voice, Captain and I Anderson. appreciate it. He was captain. He was eventually promoted to admiral because they're uh, they're technically a space and navy, so they don't have majors. Oh, that's right. Anyway. I need to replay Mass Effect is what I'm learning. All right. I know who I'm casting. Prepare yourselves. Enigmatic. Possibly a symbol of the downfall of everything. Also, everyone seems to like him. Christopher Walken. Oh, he was one of mine. <laughs> okay. All I right. Need It'd more. be weird. It'd Cal- be weird. Does, does, does Grotus need more cowbell? Yes. I need more moon. Do you understand <laughs> the concept of the tooth fairy? <laughs> 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 what, what was it? Uh, at um, uh, Aragorn as uh, Satan. Oh, uh, oh, the prophecy. Oh, prophecy. The prophecy, yeah, yes, where he plays Gabriel and blows his trumpet, like gives his trumpet to a little kid to blow it, it shatters all the windows out of a school. And everything. <laughs> I love that amazing. you called him Aragorn, not Vigo either. I'm hard, I have difficulty remembering anyone's name when I'm on the spot. So. No, but that's a, but that's yes, a pretty... Christopher Walken. <laughs> okay. Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. That's good. I, I like dig it. it. It's weird, yeah. All right, so I'm going to go out there. And uh, it's a shame that we have not cast him yet. But for the voice of Grotus, Morgan Freeman. Oh. Ooh. He just brings so such gravitas. I well, that's the thing. It's it's the disturbing, like, it's that, okay, well, you know, things are just going to happen. They just end up happening this way. And I'm not really actively involved in anything. But I, I can yeah. just imagine Morgan Freeman, like a nature documentary, narrating the end of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I I went back and forth on this because, as always, I have two. I have one that's weird, but one that I think makes more sense. It makes more sense. It. it might just be, like, too easy, though. Um, Troy Baker, because he voices Joel. And I feel like Joel is the embodiment of the end of the world <laughs> in the last two months. <laughs> like, because like, he just... Uh, yeah, Troy Baker, because he, he's just amazing. Yeah, he's just got one heck of a voice that he can do amazing things with. And I was like, Grotus, man, yeah, I could I could picture that. I could just picture zooming into the face of Grotus and you just see a small <laughs> shack up there and there's just a, 
grizzled old man with a guitar strumming his guitar as he <laughs> watches the universe we all end. know <laughs> Grotus looks like the moon from Majora's Mask that's true and, it's true you know, <laughs> All right, so mine is real weird, and none of y'all are going to probably know who this is because you, you don't play Final Fantasy fourteen. Hey, hey, we play a little bit. Have you gotten to Shadowbringers? Nope. No. <laughs> probably so, never going to. Uh, wow, that makes me sad. Because of the um, pace that we're going at. Mm-hmm. My choice is uh, Renee Zagger. He's the voice of the main bad guy for Shadowbringers, uh, Emmett Selk, and he does such an amazing job and that character, there's slight spoilers here for Shadowbringers. That character is all about destroying the world. And it just, when Rick you started reading about, uh, reading about Grotus, I uh, immediately like saw some parallels between that character. And so that's what it is for me. My other Final Fantasy XIV nerds might back me up on this one. I have decided Man, someone that's... that I need to cast for something eventually when I mention narrating the end of the universe. I was like, man, I would cast Neil deGrasse Tyson for something. <laughs> Not really an actor, but just his delivery. I <laughs> his excitement about over the end Stephen of the universe. Fry because oh, of yeah. Hitchhiker's oh. Guide. He did such a good yeah. narration of Hitchhiker's Guide movie. Yeah. But... Nah, not not for Grotus. No, I, I honestly right. I like the the varying choices we have here. They're all very <laughs> interesting. This is a tough one. It's it's really uh-huh. a tough one because it's all about the voice. Yeah, I, you you kind of got me with Keith David when you first brought him up because like Gargoyles is my childhood. Uh, <laughs> Mass Effect <laughs> and Mass yeah. Effect. Yeah. You know who I'm surprised didn't get nominated, especially because of that. Uh... If you're talking about John Reese Davies, I considered it. No, that line of uh, the end is inevitable and Grotus is patient. I'm surprised no one went Josh Brolin. Why would I go Josh Brolin? <laughs> oh. Because oh. That, that's kind oh. of like Thanos's I am inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> I am inevitable. It tells you how often I think of Thanos, which is not often. <laughs> I hate to say it, like Josh, Josh Brolin, Brolin is, is a good actor, but I don't <laughs> usually consider him for things. No, me either. Josh Brolin is pretty great, though. He is pretty great. He's actually really yep. funny. But uh, for those who actually did make it through our, our ramblings and were selected for casting, you can vote on who you think it should be to help us um, decide because we always get to an impasse. Mm-hmm. Uh, on our Reddit, on the Reddit the post Reddit. that uh, is for this after party, we will have a poll. Shout that, out to the subreddit. Which shout yeah. out to your subreddit and our mods who our mods are doing the are ones doing all of the polls and stuff. Very cool. So uh, very cool work by them. So vote on Reddit. Yeah, this does. Of course, these last episodes did mark the end of book three of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. We're going to delve back into something we haven't done in some time since I think way back in like episode. I think we skipped it for book two. So, yeah, it's it's been a while. But we're going to do a trivia contest. We're going to do five questions and the first five people to respond to us with the correct answer for these five questions are going to receive a bonus. Uh, you can send us an email to our find the path channel at gmail.com and we will mail you a reward. Uh, of course, if you're an international listener, feel free to enter the contest. It just may take some time to mail things out to you because uh, the U.S. Post Office is real slow right now. Mm-hmm. But we do have some questions for all of you. So I suppose we'll start with Jessica Peters and make our way around. So, Jessica, what is the name of the person that Hollis got her gun from? Oh, that's a good one. Ooh, exciting. Mm-hmm. So I think right, I think my... that's been mentioned more than once. So maybe. Maybe. I but know sometime, it's been mentioned at least once. Sometime in this book. So all right. Jordan. Okay. For Sudi, he had a vision quest type thing and talked to his grandfather, I believe. What was his grandfather's name? Ooh, grandfather's name. Alright. Heather. Alright, for Masika. What was the name of the creature that helped her build Narmer? Narmer. <laughs> okay. Um, for Citra, what is her dad's architectural specialty? Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, that's nice. I was going to say, what token did she give Falto? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rick gets one too. I get one as well. In what section of a certain buried library did the party find the documents pertaining towards Citra's ancestor and his confession. Ooh, that's a good one. That is a good one. So the name of the library or the part in the library? The part of the library. What what room in a buried library did the party find Citra's ancestor's confessions? It's a very specific part of the library. Uh, and bonus question, 
What is Narmer's funniest joke? <laughs> <laughs> no extra points or anything. I just like to know. I want to know what direction people want to see Narmer's jokes continue down. That's funny. Are, That's a hard one to pick. There's a lot of great ones. Old? Let me know. <laughs> I'm oh, so tired that's of these stacks a, That's of a tough runs. one to think back to. Jeez. <laughs> They're all so amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Send us an email in with the answer to the five questions, the bonus question also, if you'd so wish, to findthepathchannel at gmail.com, and we will get back to you. The first five people will receive a little bonus swag bag. It's a little something to cheer everyone up during these trying times, and a little something to get everyone excited. Maybe say it less like the Viper, then, because you had kind of a Viper tone going on there, and I don't know if I want to get anything from the Viper. What is the Viper's son's actual name? That's a mm, that was yeah. That was actually a good <laughs> no, it's not Chad. <laughs> it's Brad. His Chad last name the Viper. Is Chad, Chad Viper. Chad Asp. Uh, <laughs> Chad that sounds Asp. like a name Asp of Chads. one of those tunnel snakes from Fallout Three. Hey, hey. Tunnel snakes rule. <laughs> so yeah, uh, write in with your answers to that. Uh, we look forward to hearing from all of you and. Uh, you want to roll us out, Jordan? Yep. And with that, we sign off. We're going out of your ears back into the internet where we live. Until next time, Pathfolk. We live in the internet. <laughs> do we all live in the internet these days? We're just five just facets bit. of Skynet waiting. Oh, jeez. <laughs> hey, the future is now. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.